0: Another pot of coffee is brewing, and my fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. As I record this, I am actually wishing I'd had more coffee and that the seagulls outside, you may hear them occasionally in the background, would be a little bit quieter. No, I'm not suffering from a hangover, it's just that they annoy me. I'm also struggling to believe that this podcast turns six months old next week. So thank you to everyone who has listened so far and encouraged me to get on with doing the show. Huge congratulations have to go to Hop's Geek News and It's a Musical podcast over on Twitter, who both managed to guess the film from the random clues I gave out this week. As part of the Chris Evans season, yep, continues all of March, I am going to be talking about 2004's The Perfect Score. Also this week, I'm going to be talking about a book written by satirical author Tom Holt called The Management Style of the Supreme Beings as well as what's going to be on UK streaming services for the next week. There's always a bit coming up that you may be interested in. And of course, it wouldn't be a week in the coffee household if I didn't talk about what's been happening in the mental health world, at least mine. As there was, again, no weird dream to get me through. Well, there kind of was one, actually, but I remember vague bits. I woke up with some memory of the fact that I was sitting randomly in a hot tub with my current boss talking about holidays weird right i'm going to be going straight into the film the perfect score was released in january 2004 a joint project between mtv and spyglass films so you know exactly the target audience they're aiming at from the off it was directed by brian robbins who is also known as brian levine And he's since apparently gone on to become president of children's network Nickelodeon. And of course, it also has the honour of being the first film that Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson star in together. The film wasn't the biggest hit, however, not even making it big with the target audience. And it definitely wasn't popular with critics. Even now, the film has an approval rating that I think is rather undeserved, of 16% over on Rotten Tomatoes. At the box office, it only managed to make a rather damp squib of $10.9 million. Over half of that came from the opening weekend. This is only Evan's second lead role, following, ironically, 2001's Not Another Teen Movie. And from here, he went on to star in Cellular the same year, and then straight into his first comic book hero role, Johnny Storm in 2005's Fantastic Four. So, the film. There's no need to go into any more of the history of the film because we can go straight into the film. It starts, we're in a large classroom where students all have their heads down because they're, they're taking the SAT. I didn't realise, but at the end of the film, they talk about the SAT and they give them 30 minutes. Is that how long you get to do the SAT, the test that determines your entire future? somebody comment because I don't know anything about the SAT because over here though apparently we now take SATs when you're in primary school. We didn't take any SATs, we just took a reading exam and a spelling test and a math test which I always failed. We take exams on every subject called the GCSEs, General Secondary Certificate of Education or General Certificate of Secondary Education and they're taken at 16 and then at 18 you have the option of taking A-levels or NVQs or BTECs or whatever else. So I don't know anything about the SAT. So every time I hear SAT I think, oh they must get stacks of time to study, loads of subjects to know about. And then you watch this film and it's like, really? Half an hour? Okay, your entire future's decided on 30 minutes. Somebody tell me if I'm wrong or if the film's just making things simpler. I have no idea. We open on a large classroom where students have their heads down as they're taking their SAT. And one of the cast, Leonardo Nam, who plays Roy, you'll probably know him better from Westworld. You know, the series that's been running for a few years. He starts reeling off facts about the SAT, how many people have taken it, what the average scores were, how these people are setting their life path by this test. And then we zoom in on Kyle. An average student with an average score potential, and this score is standing in the way of his dream. Then we zoom over to Anna, a girl with potential, a great GPA, and her class rank is 2. But the SAT doesn't care about that. The SAT is standardised, and it's all about how you perform on the day. But it is about how you perform on the day in any exam. That's the point of an exam. After the SATs and the results have been released, Kyle goes to see the student advisor and says that he A, has no fullback scores and B, his SAT score wasn't good enough. He needs to get a 1430 to get into Cornell because that's what he needs to do in order to be an architect because that's been his plan since he was a kid. He also lied to his parents about his SAT scores. He scored a 1060 or something on his exam and that's definitely not enough. <laughs> the student advisor has no response apart from you need a fallback school. And then he tells him, well, the community college down the road, the architect who designed this particular building that Kyle is not massively impressed by, went to the community college here. Fantastic. That's not a help <laughs> to somebody who's got an idea in mind. He meets up with his friend Matty who we see from Roy's overlay of information, is slightly below average. He is an underachiever. He didn't perform well in his SATs and he needs to get a good score in order to get to Maryland University. His girlfriend, Sandy, is a freshman there and he wants to be with her. Okay, so he's basically aiming the entire... (laughs) the ambition of his life on a girlfriend he has had at high school who moved on to university before he did unfortunately when they're on the roof talking he opens his letter from Maryland University and discovers that he didn't get accepted because his SAT score wasn't good enough matty and kyle work together in a courier packing center when they're not at school i'm guessing to earn money for college but i could be completely wrong the two boys decide after a bit of thought and probably some drinking that the best thing to do is to go to the place where all the testing scores are handled and complain. However, they're told by security that nobody goes up because if they let one student go up, they're going to have to let every single student that comes to complain up into the offices. However, they see a fellow student, Francesca Curtis, who is played by... And a very young-looking Scarlett Hansen. In fact, she, I think she was 18 when she played this role. Entering the building without checking in, and she just walks straight past security and to the elevators. And they are—they want to know why she's different. The security guard says, "Well, when your dad owns the building, you can do what you want. So she pretty much can just go anywhere in the building. She has security access, and she's free to roam." The retest is in two weeks. Matty says, well, maybe we can do the retest and everything will be okay. Kyle says, there is no time to prepare for the exam. Matty then calls his girlfriend Sandy. And a boy answers with the words, Sandy's room. Starts a conversation between Matty and Kyle. Well, maybe it was the roommate's boyfriend. Well, no, if it was the roommate's boyfriend, he'd have answered with her room, not Sandy's room. So he's all of a sudden like, oh, she's cheating on me. She probably is, to be fair. She's at college. She's with boys her own age. Boys who are experiencing the same things as her. So in reality, why would she want to be with someone who was much younger than her? They're only 18. He starts to suspect that it is the SAT's fault. It's not really. It is distance. Matty then says, the SAT doesn't test the right things. It doesn't play fair, so why should they? He says, they know where the SAT answers are, so why don't they just go in and take them? He really doesn't want to work with his dad in the septic tank business. He points out that the truck his dad has highlights and son in the business name, and he doesn't want to be and son, especially not cleaning septic tanks. I don't want to clear up other people's shit. His line, not mine. Though, to be fair, I don't either. Carl gets home and sees his brother Larry, played by Matthew Lillard, sitting in the laundry room playing a really bad version of Smoke on the Water. That is what he's got to look forward to if he doesn't get a better SAT score. His mum is in the dining room marking bubble in sheets. She says that We're teaching first graders to bubble in right now and it makes us more money than actually teaching them anything. Standardised testing is taking over and it starts when you're really young. So we see a clip of Kyle, not really young, his current age, sitting in a first grade classroom and next to him, a little boy has been bubbling in and the message he holds up says, help me. It's all about the test scores. But then it always is about the test scores, no no matter where you go to school. The better the scores, the more money the schools get. Kyle wakes up from this nightmare and goes to speak to Matty. He's come round to his way of thinking. They are going to have to play them at their own game, sort of, and steal the test answers. Matty believes that Francesca Curtis is their way in. She writes the school gossip pages exposing the school for what it is, or at least exposing the underground and all the gossip. At a school basketball game, Francesca meets with Kyle and Matty, and they do their best to persuade her to join them. She's interested in their plan, she thinks it's rather cool, but she has zero intention of helping them. And to be honest, what's in it for her? She's their way in, but what's in it for her at the end of it? Unless she needs their help with her scores. So realizing that they're losing her, Kyle starts to talk about how they're always being told to be unique, but then the SAT makes them a faceless herd. And then we see the see that he is wearing this royal blue, I suppose, not very good with colors shirt and something is happening in the crowd. And you see that his shirt is actually part of the O. So he is part of the herd, whether it's intentional or not. However, she finally is persuaded when Kyle starts to appeal to her feminist side, saying how it is more geared toward favouring men. Anna, we've met her earlier, you know, overachiever, second in the class, everything else. She's taking shots of the star basketball player, Desmond mm-hmm. Rhodes. His grades, we see, are really bad. And then we see a clip of him at home with his mum. A college recruiter is at their house trying to persuade him that he needs to go to college to make him ready for the NBA because he's not ready yet. St John's University is the place to help him, and his mother agrees. She wants him to go to get an education, a backup in case something happens to his basketball career, and he needs an SAT score of 900 to get in, something he's not going to achieve. At school, after checking under the stalls in the bathroom, Kyle tells Matty that he's spoken with Anna Ross and told her their plan. She tells him that it's cheating and it's wrong and then brings up a hypothetical that proves her point and the hypothetical goes along the lines of, if you're in a car driving along, the light turns red, there are no cars coming, would you go? No, you wouldn't because even though it's a victimless crime, you know it's against the law. And as far as she's concerned, it's exactly the same when it comes to this test. Matty freaks out when Kyle tells him he's told her, especially because not only did she say no, but she disapproved and she's a, a goody goody. So for all they know, she could be going and telling a teacher their plan right now. However, Kyle is sure that she needs this test as much as they both do because he saw her when they were taking the SATs. She froze She got to a certain point in the exam and couldn't go any further because her mind just stopped. And it's at this point they discover they are not alone. Roy, a stoner who is ranked last in the class, was sitting in the stalls all along. That night, Francesca arrives home and her dad is outside saying goodbye to another young fling. As she walks into the house, she tells him that just because the women he's dating are getting younger does not mean he will. There are clearly a lot of issues here and I think that when she eventually gets involved with their plan it is partially because of her dad and her relationship with him. We don't find out much about her mum at least not until a little bit later in the film and what we do find out makes you think oh my god the poor girl she's been abandoned by both her parents in many ways. Her dad's there. But he's not really there. He's far more interested in proving his libido hasn't died. When Anna gets home from the game, her parents have invited a friend over who they believe can help her get into Brown. The more they talk about Brown, the more you realise that it's not exactly her life plan that she's doing all this work for. Her parents are pushy, high achievers. She barely gets a word in as they boast about her achievements to this friend who can help. And the sounds in her head just get louder and louder as they talk. After their guests leave, Anna goes up to her room and her mum comes in and tells her there's no way she will mess up again. She is clearly experiencing incredible pressure from both her parents, especially her mum. She starts to call current students at Brown. Do they actually give out leaflets that contain all the phone numbers of all the girls or all the people that are studying at Brown? Do they do that at every college in the States? Anyway, she calls up one number pretending that she's another student and she's playing again with her roommates. And this game basically is what's the lowest score you ever heard of getting into Brown? She then jots 1390 on the page and you can see that this page is covered in different numbers and I'm guessing they're all different scores that people have heard. The next thing you see is Kyle, Matty, Francesca and Roy. They're casing the building, well Francesca's dad's building, to see their best way in. Francesca gets both Matty and Kyle into the building as mailroom guys so they can get a feeling for the interior of the top floor where the test results are. Roy then comes in and saves the day when the receptionist notices that both boys left their ID badges behind. He then tells them that not only was mail pickup that morning, but that he's a ghost. He may well be bottom of the entire class, but that has nothing to do with his intelligence level. He's far brighter than he lets on to his teacher's, And definitely far brighter than he lets on to other students. Though little bits of it are coming out here and there. He's incredibly observant. He can slip in and out of things unnoticed. And he definitely pays attention. It's at this point that I realised that I was definitely watching a film that was made in the early 2000s. Kyle is wearing this sweater. It's a kind of greyish colour. And it has three different with stripes across the front and I realised that I saw so many films made during this era that had that kind of clothing, very nondescript, very dull, very early 2000s. And then I realised this film came out the year I turned 30. Yeah, okay, nothing wrong with that. Anna is studying for her SATs determined that this time she isn't going to fail when Desmond arrives to see the picture she took of him at the game. He asks her at that point if she can help him to study for the SAT, but she tells him that she can't. He tells her that he is under a different kind of pressure to everybody else. If he fails the SAT, it will be national news because of his status as an All-State player. And if she fails, she just doesn't get into the into the college that she wants. Kind of unfair comparison there because... One person's future is no less important than another's. However, you can see where he's going. He desperately needs to pass because his mum is now set on the you-are-going-to-college path, and if he fails it, he's going to be in shit. (laughs) His mum is very, very strong. Roy is in the office of one of the managers at the testing centre when he's caught. The manager is played by Vanessa Angel, who previously played Emmanuel in the adult film Emmanuel in Space, I believe. Wow, where do I get all this information? I have no idea how I... I didn't even look this up, I just know that's who it is. And she also played the TV version of Lisa in the TV series Weird Science, based on the John Hughes film. Kyle is walking through the office when he's handed the one thing he was there for, the verification master of the SAT, He's asked by one of the men in the office to copy it, return it, and take a copy to another office for filing. And this comes in handy later. Is this the opportunity they were looking for? Or does he need to play the long game? And this is the important question. If he takes it, he's got the answers. However, if he takes it, is he playing, is he showing their hand? He finds Matty and shows him what he's got. And Matty says, yeah, just take it. And then Kyle realises that he has to be sensible. He says that if they take it, then there's easily enough time between now and the Saturday for somebody to do all the questions all over again. So it won't have helped them at all. So he says, well, we'll copy it. They're in the copy room. or well, they think they're in the copy room. Being rather cocky, Kyle shoves it straight into this machine that looks like the copier and to me it looked like a copier and shreds the entire thing their entire mission done in a matter of moments as far as the four of them are now concerned it's over they had their chance and they completely ballsed it up when kyle and matty arrive at work that evening anna is there waiting for them And she says to Kyle, do you need to know my reasons if I want to take part? He then says, why did you fail the SAT before? She says that she got to one of the questions that was about two people on a train to New York. And she couldn't get past the purpose of the story, rather than the answer they wanted. She just froze. She then says, we. And it alarm bells ring. It's like, we? Hang on, you're you. You're an I. You're a me. You're not a we. She has told someone else about the plan. Kyle just lets out this sigh that is so put upon. You kind of feel sorry for him for a moment. Even while you're remembering he's considering a heist. At the next basketball game, Kyle tells Matty, who is so stressed at this point, I'm surprised he doesn't just explode all over the place. The idea of having Desmond Rhodes on their team is just too much. He's high profile and there's no way he can be inconspicuous. I mean, he's a massive guy. He's really, really tall. How is he not going to stand out? If somebody looks over a crowd, you're going to see the tall person. You're not going to see a short one. I could join the heist, though I wouldn't be able to do the running because I'm rubbish at it. But (laughs) he's so tall, he's going to stand out in any crowd. Roy is also at the game, and he's again showing his knowledge of everything when he starts to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of Desmond's game, basically saying there's no way he's not ready for the pros yet, he's not ready for the NBA, so he can understand why he needs to get into college. After the game, Kyle has had an idea. He asks Francesca to get the blueprints for the building and the security codes. The security code she has no doubt she's going to be able to get and she hands him the blueprints. They arrange to meet the following Tuesday at his brother's above the family garage. You get this feeling there could be some chemistry between Kyle and Francesca. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depends on your view, he has a thing for Anna. Oh, I need to point out, I've just realised that I've gone through this entire thing and not said who anyone is played by. Anna is played by Erica Christensen, who was better known at that point for the film swim fan. Though, obviously, since then, she's gone on to star in other things such as Parenthood, the TV series. And Desmond is actually played by a basketball player called Darius Miles, who is six foot nine. Oh my God, so I'm not wrong. He was seriously tall, six foot nine. And then, of course, we have Brian Greenberg, who plays Matty. Now, I recognise Brian. I look at him and I think, I recognise you from something. But I never watched One Tree Hill, which he was in. However, I did see the film Prime, in which he ended up having a fling with Uma Thurman. And I also obviously have seen Bride Wars, which stars Anne Hathaway and Kate Hudson. And he was in both of those. So they're the cast. <laughs> oh, I feel so really bad. I keep on doing that. I'll talk about the film and I'll go, this character and this character. And then I realise that I haven't told you who plays any of them. Desmond is having his dinner when Roy calls him. His mum takes the phone and Roy is derailed because his mum is incredibly demanding. I've already said she's a very strong woman. Roy tells her that he is helping Desmond with SAT exam prep and he needs Desmond to pick him up for the prep as he doesn't have a car. She asks him for his address, writes it down and then hands the note to her son telling him to be on time. And that's it. But she will not accept people calling during dinner. Francesca is just leaving when her dad introduces her to his latest girlfriend, Tiffany. For all that she's a feminist, she is the gossip girl. She's the one who gathers all of the tidbits from school and posts them on a website. She is the anarchist. She wears dark clothing, dyed her hair this really weird Burgundy red color. She smokes. She acts like the rebel. Talks about feminism being important, and then calls the woman who her father is with a piece. Something she actually spells out quite clearly to the woman who is only there because her dad invited her. So there are little, there are a few things that she's an anachronism. That's the word I was looking for. She is not someone who is what she appears. None of them are, to be fair, but there is something a little bit hypocritical about the way she acts. Just saying. Desmond goes to pick up Roy and asks him why he's the ghost. Roy says he sees and hears things, but no one sees or hears him. Perhaps this is not only at school, but the rest of his life too, which is kind of sad, really. He uses the fact that he managed to get Desmond's cell number easily but Desmond doesn't have his, as a perfect example. And it is. I mean, how did he get this phone number? Seriously. Kyle's plan was to use his brother Larry's place for the meeting, but when he gets there, Larry has forgotten to tell him that he's actually having a wine-tasting party. It's wine-tasting Tuesday, and the place is packed. Kyle and the others are using this time to go over the blueprints they've got photos of the building the blueprints the security codes everything they need they just have to go over the plan francesca is trying to be the edgy one again from her clothes to her criticism she wants to know what everyone's motives are for being there even though kyle had already said look this isn't important we just need to know that we can work together she makes allusions to the stoner scene in the breakfast club where they all get stoned and make confessions. And this is definitely something that Roy is up for. However, Anna is not interested in sharing her reasons. And the meeting is quickly getting derailed. Because instead of talking about working together, they are goading each other into arguments that are completely unnecessary. It's quite clear at this point that though the idea was originally Mattie's, Kyle is the planner. He's the ringleader, the one who has all the ideas but Matty isn't so sure that things are going to work. While all of this is going on, Francesca is doing some work on her website and getting frustrated because she can't get the coding on something in visual basic to work. Here, I have a question. What is she designing on her website that requires visual basic? Because visual basic is used for designing the front end of databases and forms and other things in Microsoft. So unless she's designing her website in Internet Explorer, really? She doesn't really need Visual Basic. And she's hit a wall anyway. And that's when we discover that Roy's knowledge is even more extensive than he's revealed so far. He's failing not because he hasn't got the ability to pass. He's failing because he has no drive and he doesn't really care. He doesn't want to go to college, he doesn't want to graduate or anything else. He just wants to coast by. Just when everyone decides it's time to leave, because clearly there is no working together here, Kyle starts to talk about their potential future. All the things they could be if they just got the SAT scores they needed. Anna starts to play along, and then Roy joins in. Kyle points out they can all get exactly what they want, but they need to work together to get it. Kyle walks them through the plan as we, the audience, see it happen on screen. Though we're not actually seeing the plan happen. It's a a vision of the plan. The plan is this. Francesca will sign Matty and Kyle into the building for a meeting. At this point, Roy interrupts and says, What will happen if the security card recognises you? Because he's already seen you once. He's playing devil's advocate. Of course kyle then with his extensive imagination sees a load of guns and police turn up it's not going to happen Matty, francesca and kyle will go into the office and wait until everyone has left for the day roy is not amused to find he will be waiting in the forest with anna and desmond until he starts imagining getting busy with anna in the truck anna is not so impressed at that idea francesca being a rebellious daddy's girl is really helpful. She's going to persuade the security guard to disconnect the alarm on the side door so she can unload some boxes from her car into the building, because apparently she's done this a few times. What the heck is she storing in her dad's building? She then imagines that she's Trinity from the Matrix, which is sort of prophetic, because she has since then become a badass in leather with incredible fighting skills. They are to head to the roof to get into the offices on the top floor to get the test results. And then they can start the rest of their lives. Of course, no plan is ever as simple as that, but that's their idea. Matty walks out of the meeting and sees Francesca smoking outside. He tells her that smoking is gross and she asks him why he wants the test results so badly. What's so great about Sandy, his girlfriend? Matty tells her that it was what he did well. He was great at being Sandy's boyfriend. Roy's at home watching a film, I think it might be Reservoir Dogs or something like that, because I'm sure I heard Harvey Keitel's voice, and he's making notes. Is he thinking that this heist is going to be some gun-blasting bank job when they leave for the day of the SAT heist? At the start, it's all going to plan, because things do seem to go well at the beginning. If they don't, they wouldn't even continue. Kyle and Matty get into the building and wait in a meeting room with Francesca until the building empties. Francesca manages to persuade the security guard to switch off the alarm to one of the doors and they head up to the roof. They're wearing Halloween masks. Well, two of them are. Unfortunately for Matty, he's wearing a snorkel and goggles and it really doesn't aid him in seeing anything. They get into the top floor really easily. No alarms go off and they're free and clear. At least initially it seems that way. They've got to avoid security cameras because otherwise they will alert the security guard on the ground floor that something is going on and they really don't need that. However, as I've already said, Matty is wearing snorkel and goggles and they aren't doing him any favours. They are so fogged up that he can't see anything and he's actually putting the mission in jeopardy because of his lack of organisation. Outside, Roy, Anna and Desmond are just waiting for the signal that they're needed. Anna asks Roy why he smokes pot, and Roy's answer is that it's just something to do. He responds by asking her why she bites her nails. Fair enough. He's bored. (laughs) I get that one. Not that I smoke pot when I'm bored. I record a podcast, actually. They get to the room where the test is meant to be, for filing that's room 510 but the room is completely empty there's nothing in it at all kyle then remembers that one of the sets of papers was to go back to the person he was copying them for in office 545 at that point security shows up and they get much closer than they should be the three the trio are crammed together so tightly so they can't be seen Kyle knows that there is another copy of the paper and he's going to go to office 545 to get it. Roy's playing silly beggars, climbing a tree like a child. When he sees a guard come out of the building and knows that he needs to warn the guys, they've got to switch off their torches. Unfortunately, climbing the tree, he drops his phone into a puddle of water and it's waterlogged completely. Anna manages to get Desmond's phone and calls them in time. Matty finds Office 545. They can get in, but they have no idea where the test is. It's nowhere to be found. They do, however, find the computer, but they can't get in. It's password protected. They know someone who can, though. Roy. Just what they need, a stoner in the building who has zero impulse control. Matty calls a friend who works in a store, asks for roses and champagne to be delivered to the building, to the security guard. It's the best way to distract him, with a gift from a secret admirer. They need to get Roy into the building without being seen, and this is the only way they can come up with to do it. While the trio are back on the roof waiting for the delivery of champagne and roses, because they've got to then go and let Roy into the building, Matty starts talking and says that his dream is to be an actor. Francesca says that she'd run a no-kill shelter and just be a mum and it's at this point you realise that her mum, instead of, I actually thought she may have died but instead of this it seems that her mum abandoned her for her career. She says I'd be a real mum who cares about her children not what's on her business card. Things are getting very real in the conversation when the delivery driver arrives. They run down the stairs to let Roy into the building and Anna decides that she's not going to be left behind and heads off before roy does desmond is very tough he's said no they just want roy but when anna heads off and roy heads off desmond's like oh hell no i'm not staying and follows after them quickly overtaking roy who is inhibited by his trousers poor roy his lifestyle has left him as unfit as i am and that is nothing to be proud of, but to be fair, he's meant to be a teenager, and I am easily double that age. Roy, once they're in the building, sits at the computer in 545, and after a few failures to get in, he sees the picture of the man with his wife or girlfriend, and manages to get into the computer. I'm guessing that the password was either her name or her measurements. He searches for the verification master, and they find it. Unfortunately, though, they cannot print it. There is a need for three other passwords. And as Roy rightly says, I could get them for you, but it would take me days. The test is right there. So Kyle gets the idea that they all take the test and steal the answers that way because they've got the verification master. All six of them together can't be beaten, even if one of them on their own can Anna and Kyle are going to work together on the verbal, while Roy and Desmond work on the math. Francesca and Matty have guard duty. What I find really funny, and really funny is Francesca is asked, do you want to do the verbal? And she says, oh, I'm no good with words. But she wants to be a writer. Or she is a writer. She runs a website that uses words. So surely she's good with words. You later find it's all a lie anyway, but we'll get to that bit. Francesca clearly likes Matty. she doesn't quite goad him, but she is honest when she tells him that his girlfriend Sandy is not calling him like she did, and their relationship is over. Matty tells her that her life isn't healthy, using a website because her dad doesn't love her isn't any better than his relationship with Sandy, and at that point she kisses him and tells him that he found someone who let him be himself. She then walks away. She was talking about Sandy when she said that, but in reality, she could also be referring to her. Desmond and Roy are talking while doing the math. Desmond admits that the verbal is what scares him, but he knows that without the verbal scores, he won't make the 900 he needs. He tells Roy that he can't just go pro because his mum would kill him if he made the wrong decision and didn't go to college. Roy then asks him why can't he tell his mum this? Desmond asks Roy at that point, Can you talk to your mum? And Roy says, well, I think I could, but she's dead. Roy is actually a rather deep character in the midst of a load of people who have very little to be concerned about. He's on his own, his mum's dead, his father is nowhere to be seen, and he's raising himself. And we have the rest of these characters. We've got one who's got a fantastic basketball career ahead of him, and all he wants is a 900 on his SAT. We've got Kyle, who wants to get into Cornell for his architecture. We've got Matty who wants to get into Maryland College for his girlfriend. And then there's Francesca, whose motive is never very clear at all. In fact, I don't think she actually has a motive. She doesn't have any reason to be there, apart from it's fun and it's something she's rebelling against her dad. By the end of the night they've done the tests and are about to leave when Kyle notices that Roy has taken a load of stuff from the offices. Office supplies. I just need them for school. Yeah, okay. You need them for school when you don't really attend. Anna and Kyle go and wait on the roof while the stuff is returned. I have to say, I love Chris Evans. In fact, I watched this film the first time because so it's like, Chris Evans is in this. And then I saw that it, the plot was kind of a school heist and it looked fun. But his character is a little bit dry, a bit preppy, and for all his drive to get into college, there doesn't seem to be any emotion behind it. It's like, I built this thing when I was eight, and I've always wanted to be an architect. It's delivered very staccato, and I'm not sure if that's the script or because this was only his second film role. However, he's still pretty to look at, and you can see his jawline and everything developing because he was 22 when he filmed this. And obviously he was in his 30s when he became Captain America. Well, not quite in his 30s, actually. Late 20s when he became Captain America. And he's bulked up a lot. and he, But he's still got the same kind of posture and everything else. None of that has changed. The four are still in the building when the guard comes to check and the lights go on. Francesca knows she isn't going to make it. So she passes the key card to access the stairwell over to Matty, but Matty refuses to leave Francesca behind. He picks up a computer monitor, and after Desmond and Roy have left the building, he goes to make it look as though he was stealing it when he's caught by the security guard. Kyle, Desmond, Anna and Roy escape and watch as Matty is escorted out of the building and off the premises by the police and Francesca watches from the top floor as he's driven away. Francesca immediately goes home once she gets the all clear, and gets money out of her personal stash to bail Matty out. Kyle is just getting home when his brother asks him how the previous night went, and what happened to him. Kyle responds with, what happened to you? It's kind of like a weird exchange between the two brothers, because you'd have thought that they'd have had this conversation before, because... You can see that Kyle is disappointed in his brother. His brother, though, is now disappointed in him. Larry is far more astute than Kyle takes him for. He asks Kyle how he thinks their parents would feel about the son who lives over their garage versus the son who cheats his way into college. It seems that in their rush to get things done, they left all the plans for the heist on Larry's bed. Roy (laughs) believes he must be on a very, very weird trip. He wakes up in his house to find Desmond's mum is standing above him. She's asking him questions about his family and his mum. And you can hear the mum-ness in her voice when she's, oh, sweetheart, and everything else. And she's really invested in getting him straight. Roy has been completely put on the spot by Desmond's mum. And she's very take charge and quite intimidating. She's arrived to take him to the SAT and when he tells her that he has no intention of taking the test as he has no plans to go to college because he doesn't intend to take the place of someone who really wants to be there she's not having it he is going to take that test whether he likes it or not you can tell from the look on desmond's mum's face that she's a not going to fall for this and b actually not going to take any notice roy is going to go to the school When Matty gets out of prison, Francesca is outside waiting for him. She pulls him to her and they kiss, even though he admits that he has the stench of prison on him. Anna's mum is absolutely furious with her daughter. She spent the whole night out jeopardising everything they worked for. The operative word here for me is they. Since when are they taking the SAT? Since when are they going to Brown? Since when are they the ones who cope with the pressure that she is put under? This is them trying, for some weird reason, to live vicariously through their daughter. As Anna gets out of the car, she tells her stunned mother that she is not going to Brown. Okay, breaking the reality of the film right now, what the heck is Chris Evans wearing here? He's got this weird, green t-shirt on and a long sleeved shirt underneath it oh it looks awful it really does him no favors i don't think that colors for him at all maybe blue yeah blue looks good on him so does red but this green is doing him no favors i don't think it does many people any favors to be fair it just looks wrong and anna is wearing a very very tight spaghetti strap top and jeans looking incredibly different and very confident. I think that the previous night's heist showed her that she had a lot more strength and a lot more purpose than she was led to believe by probably what her parents and her educators had told her for her entire life. It's not all about school. The gang are all together meeting before the SATs to pass over the answers Desmond says he's not interested. In fact, he says, I'm not interested, man, you don't know my mum. Roy says, no, don't need it, you really don't know his mum. Matty says he doesn't need the crib sheet, he doesn't want it. Francesca at this point reveals that she doesn't need it, she got a 1460 when she took the SAT the previous semester and has no need for the scores. She didn't do the heist for the answers. She did it for fun. Kyle looks at the answers and says that he isn't going to use them either. Architecture may be his dream, and if they want to put a number on it, then he just has to go with it. So the whole thing was for nothing. But not really, because they learned a lot about themselves in the process. Roy, realising that none of them are going to be using the answer sheets, grabs them from Kyle heads into the bathrooms where all the stoners are getting high before the exam, and slips the answers under the cubicle doors, then heads back to his friends. Okay, so once we've seen all of this, we skip forward, we find out what is happening now. Desmond got the score he needed and ends up going to St John's University on a scholarship. Matty is still with Francesca, who sold her first novel, about six kids who stole the SAT answers. Kyle gets into Syracuse, so no Cornell, and Anna goes to Europe but eventually comes back and goes to university under her own terms. They're still together and they meet on a train to New York every month. Roy gets the highest scores on the SAT and persuaded, (laughs) using the term lightly, by Desmond's mum he ends up earning his GED because despite having incredible SAT scores, his lack of attendance means his GPA was non-existent. He still spends his time playing video games, but now he’s making money out of them and is creating them instead. As I said, it wasn’t received incredibly well by critics, and with a $10.9 million box office, it doesn’t appear that it was a huge hit with the audiences either. However, it's probably, being the second film that Chris Evans starred in and his popularity now, it probably has gained a bit more of a kind of cultish status. It gets compared, and not favourably, with two other high school films, though there are only minor similarities, probably in the number of cast in them. The Breakfast Club from 1985 and Dazed and Confused from 1993. And I apologise if you can hear the seagulls. Both of them are mentioned during the film, but that is where the similarities to the to those other two films end. It's fun; I'm not going to deny it. it's a fun film, but it's something that you can watch while doing other things. And to be honest, for me, sometimes they're the kind of films that I prefer. I can read a book while I'm watching because there are certain bits you know, or I just want to pay attention to this. Chris Evans hadn't grown into his performing chops by this point. This was definitely not ScarJo's first film. She had been in 13 films before this one, including Girl with a Pearl Earring, Lost in Translation, The Horse Whisperer, Ghost World, and her first role in 1994, North, with Elijah Wood. So she had a very long career, before she even starred in this. So her first role was when she was eight years old. That's a pretty long career before she even starred in this. So when it comes down to it, though Chris Evans was the lead, Scarlett Johansson was probably the most experienced member of the cast. I can't believe that this was filmed the year after Lost in Translation because she looks so much younger in this than she does in that I enjoyed the perfect score. I'm not sure if that's because I liked seeing Chris Evans in his earlier roles or because I'm not familiar with any of the, with even the concept of the SATs. I know that it's an exam that's taken, but it seems like a really strange exam to someone who has taken exams in the UK where the structure is very different. They are subject driven you select your subjects. I selected 11, including Latin, because I'm weird. And you take exams and do coursework on those over two years. You take your exams when you're 16, they last for a month over the summer. And then it's over, you get your exam results three months later. And they determine whether you get into sixth form college or not. You do have the opportunity, once you've found out, to retake them. I had to do that with maths three times, (laughs) because I'm really not good with numbers. And once you've done that, you then take your A-levels, and your A-levels are what determine whether you get into university or not. So our exam structure is very, very different. And watching anything about the SATs, I always have the same questions. What are they? Seriously. If somebody can explain to me the concept behind the SATs, it would be really helpful because I don't understand it at all. Not that I need to, because I'm not planning on becoming an 18-year-old US student. Okay, so now we've done that, and we've talked about that film, remember there are two more Chris Evans films to come in the next two weeks. It is time to talk about what is going to be on UK streaming services over the next seven days. That's from the 12th to the 18th of March. Oh my god, How we are nearly through March already. What is going on? Where is the time going? Over on Netflix, the 12th of March is a sort of busy day. We have a film called Just in Time, the third season of animated series... Paradise PD the remake of Pet cemetery I'm not sure I saw the original years ago I saw the adverts for this and it just didn't appeal for any reason I don't know if it's because I've gone off Stephen King adaptations or because the original was bad enough we also have the show The One which is which has been promoted quite a lot to be fair then we have the film The Sister Brothers and yes Day, starring jennifer garner on the 14th of march we have the nun that's it just the nun on the 15th of march we have the lost pirates kingdom and i believe having read a tiny bit of this it's all about the real story of pirates of the caribbean what they experienced in their lives and everything else on the 16th of march we have a few things We've got Blinded by the Light, which is a film about a boy growing up in 1980s London and how the music of Bruce Springsteen shaped his life. And we also have the first series of Waffles and Mochi, which is a cookery show for children starring Michelle Obama. On the 17th of March, we have Under Suspicion, Uncovering the Westphale Case, which is the story of a Belgian MP who was accused of murdering his wife. Lovely people we have around here. On the 18th of March, we have Be the Beginning, which is, I think it's the last series of this anime that's on Netflix. We also have two further films, Deadly Illusions and Skylines, which is a sci-fi fantasy. Disney Plus is really picking up. It seems like every Friday is New Shows Day, especially now they've got Disney Plus Star. On the 12th of March, we have the following films. Behind Enemy Lines, Can You Ever Forgive Me, Thumbelina, The Beach, and then we have the shows Love in the Time of Corona, Marvel Studios Legends, which I believe will be about... Falcon and the Winter Soldier in two separate episodes in preparation for Falcon and the Winter Soldier starting on the 19th of March. We also have season one of Next, seasons one to three of Quantico, The Making of WandaVision, and on National Geographic, Own the Room, as well as the second episode of Dollface. Over on Amazon Prime, we have got a few things. As I said, Every single week, they announce a few tidbits that they're going to put up, but they don't add information about everything they're going to be adding into the platform. It's kind of like, we want you to be surprised. Believe me, I quite often am. Anyway, on Amazon Prime, on the 12th of March, we have Aquaman and Life in a Year. On the 14th, we have The Lucky One, which is, I think, a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. And then on the 15th, we have two films, both for kids, so is Easter holidays coming up at some point? Babe, Pig in the City, and Hotel Transylvania 2. So if you're interested in any of those, I'm definitely going to be watching The Making of WandaVision and Marvel Studios Legends, as well as Dullface Episode 2. There's still a book review and mental health to go, but when you're finished here, why not go and listen to another podcast I've been listening to this week, I Hate Your Taste in Movies, Welcome to I Hate Your Taste in Movies. I'm Jackie, and I love action movies, but I really hate horror movies. I'm Jen, I love horror movies, but I just can't stand musicals. And I'm Austin, I love all things musical, but I absolutely hate action movies. Join us each week as we share our all-time favorite movies with our friends who will just rip them apart. You can listen to us, I Hate Your Taste in Movies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at I hate your taste and on Instagram at HateYourTastePod. Join us as we put our friendship to the test every week and learn surprising things about each other. Like how Austin saw the movie Pitch Perfect in theaters 12 times. Which is perfectly acceptable. Or how Jackie played with oil cans as a child. Normal childhood behavior. Or how watching a zombie movie makes Jen want to eat chicken wings. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. We release new episodes every Tuesday. And for the record, I hate your taste of movies. Okay, so now you know all about it. Stick around for the ending of this episode. I promise it's a good book. And I've posted the link to their feed in the info below. This week I have finished one book and started another. I know. Crowds go wild, so I'm not going to be rushing to finish anything, I hope. The book in question is The Management Style of the Supreme Beings, a 2017 novel from English comedy fantasy author Tom Holt. In fact, when I went and checked his bibliography, I discovered that this is actually the most recent book he has written. This is probably the seventh or maybe eighth book I've read by Holt, and I was attracted to them purely because... They have titles like Snow White and the Seven Samurai, and Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Sausages. Yeah, they're that kind of book. I'd say that his style is probably closest in many ways to Douglas Adams, with a touch of Neil Gaiman and maybe Terry Pratchett thrown in for good measure. So what is this book about? When the Supreme Being and his son decided that being supreme isn't for them anymore, it's inevitable that things get a bit of a shake-up. It soon becomes apparent that our new owners, the Venturi brothers, have a very different perspective on all sorts of things. Take good and evil, for example. For them, it's an outdated concept that never worked particularly well in the first place. Unfortunately, the sudden disappearance of right and wrong, while welcomed by some, raises certain concerns amongst those still attached to the previous team's management style. In particular, there's one of the old gods who didn't move out with the others, a reclusive chap. He lives somewhere up north and only a handful even believe in him, but he's watching and he really does need to know if you've been naughty or nice. The book begins with God informing his youngest son, Kevin, of the tasks he needs to carry out while God and Jay are on holiday. Jay is his firstborn and we know him better as Jesus. The instructions are very clear as are the list of rules regarding what he must not do. However, Kevin is clumsy, and no one has ever put any faith in him, so no sooner has his father left than his uncles, Mike and Gabe, take over. The real story starts, however, with archaeologist Jersey Thorpe, who is part Indiana Jones, part James Bond, and all ego. Due to his need to stick his nose in places it probably doesn't belong, he finds himself about to die in a tomb thousands of years old when he spies an 0800 number etched into the wall. This leads him to Lucy, who works in an emergency helpline. And not just any emergency helpline, it's in God's call centre. While all this is happening, God and Jay are on their fishing trip in another universe called Sinteran, talking about their plans to retire and sell Earth to the Venturi brothers, It seems God has been looking for a buyer for a while, and Ab and Snib are the only ones who came up with an offer, so they both figure, why not take it? Ab and Snib are self-made. They are businessmen who are in the supreme being business for money. It's all about efficiency for them. They really don't care about anything else, and that becomes incredibly clear as the book runs on. God does, when he negotiates, leave one thing out when he signs on the dotted line. He forgets, or probably not forgets, but as he's God he can't really lie, everything is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but, he merely leaves out the fact that while he did try and gather up all the ancient gods, for that read Greek, Roman, Mesopotamian, Indian, you name it, all of them, one was wily enough to get away. And though not many believe in him past a certain age, He is very good at his job. Kevin is not happy with his dad. He likes Earth and doesn't want to leave his home. So while God and Jay are packing to move to Cintaran or wherever they've decided to go, they are sure that Kevin will eventually see things their way. However, Kevin runs away. Things on Earth are about to get very clear. As soon as Ab and Snib take over, they introduce a new regime. As far as the brothers are concerned, there's no such thing as good or evil. It's a balance that has, in their view, never worked. There's also no doubt that supreme beings exist. And if you can afford to pay for it, then sin is not a crime. Want to cheat on your wife? Then you will have to find the money to afford to do it. And here I mean not to pay for the hotel room or the extra house or the weekend trips away. The actual act itself. The way that they introduce themselves though is hilarious. Seriously, if you've ever seen those films where an alien invasion is about to take place or probably the best example is the scene where everyone is informed that Earth is about to be destroyed in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, this is it. Instead of leaving any doubt, there is A, a new regime and B, God exists. They announce their intentions to everyone. People of Earth, your attention please. There is no cause for alarm. This is not, I repeat, not an alien invasion. On the contrary, those who have dwelt in the darkness are about to see great light. For thousands of years, mankind has tortured itself with the fundamental unanswered question, is there a God? People of earth, the doubt and the darkness are over. Here is the answer. The answer is yes. After this, it's absolute chaos. For everything you say or do that breaks any of the Ten Commandments, you are issued with a fine. While this new system initially seems great, it doesn't quite work out so well for people like Jersey who, let's be honest here, is a thief of antiquities and since theft is no longer a sin punishable after death, he would have to pay for it, whatever the motivation behind it, using cold hard cash. So his career is pretty much over. However, just before everything went to heck in a handbasket, blasphemy is also a finable offence – he arranged a date with Lucy, who worked on the emergency helpline, and this is where the adventure truly begins. Jersey is searching. Now he has the answer about God, as does everyone else on the planet. He is curious about Santa, having seen some more etchings in the pyramids where he was trapped about a man who could be the real Santa – And here, we're not talking about Disney's Scott Calvin. Ab and Snib Venturi are having none of it, and so begins a chase through Topside, or as we know it, Earth. Flipside, which, due to the new regime, now needs to find a new way to bring in money as the revenue stream associated with being hell has been cut off due to the fact that hell is no longer required. And finally, our hero, is he really our hero though because there seems to be a bit of confusion here under the ice caps at the north pole with a jolly but sly bearded man in a red coat tom holt is an author who seriously always makes me chuckle it doesn't matter what i'm reading by him even when his books are confusing me to the point that i have to start taking notes see donut for that one i'm currently reading donuts which is the first in his series featuring new space i think there's six books in total I'm still none the wiser and I've been reading it for a couple of weeks. The management style of The Supreme Beings was an easy and enjoyable read. And seriously, I mean this. I started it on Sunday evening and finished it Tuesday lunchtime. I didn't read it in really short bursts. I read it for a couple of hours at a time. And I think Kindle estimates it is going to take you around six and a half hours. I sped through it in around four It was imaginative, humorous, irreverent, all the things that I have come to expect from Tom Holt books after reading several of his earlier works. This book dissects morality, or the characters do anyway, placing a physical value on every single act and every feeling that you have. Only in your mind, as some but not all characters discover, can he be safe from men in suits popping out of portals to present you with bills for immediate payment for simply saying hell or God, in a way that could be considered perjurative. We are presented with the usual tropes, though to be fair they're not the massive focus, the hero, the damsel in distress, but then you have to ask what if they aren't exactly what they seem on the outside? It really is a what-if novel. In this book, nothing is exactly what it seems. The supreme beings, for all their immortality, are humanised. They are somewhat relatable. The Venturi are a pair of money-grabbing brothers who see the earth as one massive business and a way to increase their fortune. And God and Jay are tired and they just want rest and relaxation. I have to say that I did have a few issues with this book and the biggest one I had was that, for all the funny lines and the character subplot, the real story, or at least what I think was the real story, seemed to get a little bit overwhelmed and lost by everything else that was happening. I also started off thinking that Jersey Thorpe was the main character, but then I started to wonder if I wasn't wrong and that role, that honour should have gone to Kevin. Every character has their own storyline, and while they did merge at points, they met up, they saw each other, they knew who each other was it did leave me a little baffled at points, which was something that did lead to me having to reread certain parts of it. Overall, I found this book fun, it made me laugh, and I enjoyed it, and I think that's the most important thing. Would I recommend it? I had to think on this for a while, but yeah, I definitely would say that it's a book to read. However, I would point you in the direction of a couple of his older books including nothing but blue skies which is about a chinese weather dragon and valhalla which is all about the norse gods and based in norse mythology but in a very very satirical way so there's my book review next week i am back to Chicklet. i am reading the book that spawned the film the wedding date so far And I'm about 20% of the way in. I am finding it very, very difficult to see where they got the film from, especially if they say it's from this book. But I will talk about that a bit more next week. Okay, so now we're on to the crux of the episode my mental health update. Where do I go? it's been one of those weeks, you know, you start the week thinking, oh, I'm in a really good mood. In fact, yesterday, meaning Tuesday, I actually had one of those absolute moments of clarity where I had a really good feeling. I was for no reason at all. It was like angels were singing, you know, that everything is clear, everything feels amazing, I had that. It didn't last very long, but while I had it, I felt, am- I felt so good. I have no idea what caused it. Not going to question it, because if I do, it won't happen again. There is logic there somewhere. However, those moments are few and far between. In the last couple of days, I have been analysing how I feel about things. I know I'm not happy in my job right now. I know I'm not happy in my life. Those two things are indicated when I start thinking, oh, if I won the lottery, I'd do this. And I've started looking on Rightmove and Zoopla to see what flats are available in the local vicinity because I like my GP. I really do. He's a very, very good, reliable GP and not many people can say that. I've spoken to so many in the UK and abroad who say oh my GP is rubbish I never get to see him getting an appointment is a nightmare I might be the exception to the rule because I never have an issue getting an appointment with mine I always know that if I phone up for an appointment I am going to get one so I am the exception to the rule and I am very lucky and I appreciate that greatly I really do so I want somewhere that is still close to where I am but the last couple of weeks have shown that Getting anything done stresses me out. I discovered a load of... It sounds. it I'm so sorry, it sounds gross. I found a load of mould growing on the window in my bedroom. Everyone is going to be going through that right now. We've got such bad issues with condensation. The weather is not exactly amazing. We're in the winter. But getting anything done, even though I know we're in lockdown, so it wouldn't happen immediately. I've reported this issue several times and nothing has happened. And I've reached the point where I am exhausted, constantly having to send my landlord and the managing agents exactly the same thing. I feel like I'm beating my head against a brick wall. And I know that this is not really a mental health issue, but it does feed into the whole, I'm tired, I'm stressed. I am absolutely fed up with fighting this battle to get anything done and this is going to sound like a really strange moan and it is a moan but I have an issue with my next door neighbour my next door neighbour seven years ago was living in the flat I'm living in now she then moved out to live with her brother-in-law and her sister in a in a larger property I didn't find out until afterwards that they were actually running from creditors. Fine, sort of. I had a stack of letters from her creditors, her bank, credit cards, you name it, when I first moved in. I started by sending them all back. I then sent them back in bulk when I wasn't getting anywhere by sending them back one at a time and eventually I opened one of the letters, it was addressed to my property And I phoned them up and I explained, this person no longer lives here, hasn't lived here for a couple of years. I've been sending these letters back for all this time. You're still chasing her. I'm really sorry, I don't know where she's gone. And that's the truth. I had no idea. I knew she was somewhere in one of the towns near to where I live and that's it. Two years ago, she moved back in. I don't know if it's because she'd managed to get the creditors off her back and everything had been sorted or what. Anyway, two years ago, she moves back in to the flat next door to mine. And then all of a sudden, I start getting post, new post, addressed to her at my address when she is living next door. This week, I flipped. (laughs) It sounds so bad. I'd finally had enough, and these things eat at me because I know that if there is a creditor chasing after you, they look at your address. I don't need her creditors coming to my door. Or sending letters or continually harassing me, I used to post them all back to the creditor, but obviously that hasn't done anything. So this week I got a letter for her addressed to my address and I just wrote across the front of it in great big letters, change the address with everyone. You don't live in this flat anymore. And then posted it through her letterbox. Am I unreasonable? I know that that's not a mental health thing but actually it is because every single time I get one of those letters every single time I get something from someone who is chasing her it adds to the stress and worry that I have when I go to bed and it makes me anxious. I haven't had an anxiety attack in a couple of weeks which is great it means that my meds are doing what they're meant to do but I do still find that Tini- the tiniest little things can really frustrate me work for example I have now mentioned to my manager several times that I feel that the upper management are going quantity over quality which is fine with some things but it's really hard when you're a writer trying to write content that is purely being used as a box to put call to action buttons in And that's really what I'm producing. I said to her, I feel like a robot. I am finishing work and thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's not how I used to feel. I mean, there are certain elements of every single job that frustrate people. But I now finish my day and think, I don't want to do this anymore. Even though I'm literally just leaving my study and walking into the lounge. Eventually, I will figure out what I want where I want to go it may well be that my current job changes when things start to get back to a semblance of normality if that ever happens but the way things are going right now if it doesn't start to change if things don't start to move back to the way they were with the whole we value marketing we value content we want it to be quality content that people come to the site for I'm going to have to start doing something for myself Writing as a profession, and anybody will tell you the same thing, I have no doubt. If you have a creative mind, you love to write, and you do it for a job, you find that outside of that job it gets harder and harder to do. I haven't written anything creative since I started my current role. And I miss it a lot. I don't know if it's contributed somewhat to the low mood that I often have, or it's or what but it has made me miss what i used to do i miss writing the fan fiction i miss creating my original characters maybe one day i will be able to get back to it but at the same time i don't know if it's going to be while i'm doing what i'm doing right now okay (laughs) there was the deep thought for the week actually no my deep thought for the week is this As I said last week, if you're having a tough time and you really don't know what's going on, you can't concentrate, you can't sleep, take one step back. I've been doing that every single day. At the end of every day, I close the door to my office. I go and sit down either on my balcony or in my living room. I take a few deep breaths. I close my eyes and I clear my mind as much as I can. So that I can move on with the rest of my day without work and all the stresses that I associate with work ruining my evening. It is having some impact. It doesn't work every single day, I wish it did, but it does work a large amount of the time. And I get to the point where the weekend, I don't think about work at all, unless they contact me. And that is, for me, the best thing that I have taken away from the start of this year when I said I am changing things up, I am going to start doing things for me. And that was one of them. So that's it for this week. I have to say thank you again for listening. And I release a new episode every single week. So if you do like what you hear, share it with your friends and your family. Maybe there's someone who can actually benefit from the take a step back approach that i have started to use share it with them and maybe post a review on one of the many podcatchers out there like itunes or podchaser you can follow me over on twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on instagram at not before coffee podcast yes i have changed it well i need another cup of coffee as i definitely have not had enough So I'm going to go and put the kettle on, and until next time, this is me saying farewell.